0: Let's go ahead and get started. Uh, Brother Steve, would you go ahead and pray for us, brother? Oh, yeah. No, I did that last week. I called on you last week. Dustin, you pray. Take that. (laughs) Take that. All right, so kind of picking up where we left off last week. uh, I told you kind of where we were going to go this week um, in uh, chapter number 3, verse 5. It says, He therefore that ministereth to you the Spirit and worketh miracles among you, uh, doeth he it by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith. So we talked about um, the differences between the working of the law, the hearing of faith uh, last week. And uh, I told you this week I wanted to get into a little bit about this miracles, uh, about the miracles that are that are mentioned here. Of course, Paul the the gave you two different ways to look at this uh, over there. That the he in verse five is in reference to the who in verse number one, and uh, uh, also so that the people who were uh, sowing discord, if you will, or preaching false doctrine, they were the ones that needed to. Uh, basically, get up to Paul's level on the on the front of miracles, and we ran a few verses. How you know Paul? Uh, he was he was uh, performing miracles, and he had full he had made full proof of his ministry, and so um, there was uh, no doubt of his apostleship. Now, on this thing of miracles, I wanted to. There's a, there's kind of a uh, a practical and spiritual lesson to be said here, um, because he says here, Therefore that, that ministereth to you, doeth he it by the works of the law, but he, asks, but he says, uh, and worketh miracles among you. Now go over to First Corinthians chapter number 1. First Corinthians chapter number 1. And this is a this is kind of a foundational verse when we talk about miracles, we talk about signs, we talk about wonders. Of course, you deal with it with the charismatic movement, um, you know, the faith healers and all that kind of thing. And so, the kind of the, the, the cornerstone verse that we go to uh, to to kind of the jumping-off point, if you will, is going to be 1 Corinthians chapter one, verse twenty-two. It says, For the Jews require a sign, and the Greeks seek after wisdom. So they're complete opposites. There's a fundamental difference uh, between Jews and between Greeks. And we know that Jews require a sign, and Greeks seek after wisdom. Now, if we take this verse and we and we frame our, our thinking around this, this true statement, anybody that would take you to... Acts chapter 2 and try to teach you that you need to speak in tongues and be baptized in the Holy Spirit in order to be saved, well, you would understand that there's not a Gentile in Acts chapter 2. It's It's not difficult. And so you would understand that if the Jews require a sign, and this is the fulfillment of the promise that Jesus Christ made about the Comforter coming, then it would make complete sense that this would be a working of a miracle For the sake of the Jews believing, right? It's pretty simple, okay. And then you see that all the way up through Acts chapter ten when Cornelius uh, gets saved, and you see uh, again the 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 apostolic signs they fade off uh, towards the end of the book of Acts. He's going to be impressed. You thought I needed you. You're probably going to look at this and say, you messed it up, but it's, it's doing the little blue thing. You see that? <laughs> Talk to me like I'm four. <laughs> I'm sorry? The book? Oh, so uh, am I doing it right? Fantastic. Man, even an idiot can figure it out. Everyone, everyone's looking at me like I'm three. It's all right. It's okay. I can take, I can take it. What's that? Yeah, right. Once my hair goes, I'll look like a three-year-old again. Anyways, this is all recorded. Thank God. But anyways, <laughs> yeah. Back to uh, what's really important here. Uh <laughs> The Jews require a sign, and so we know that the apostolic signs are given so that Jews would believe. Now we know that that thing takes a turn in Acts chapter seven when the Jews reject fully at the preaching of Stephen. Right? So lo, I go to the Gentiles, uh, as the as the um, uh, as the apostle Paul, his ministry is primarily to the Gentiles. Okay, so <coughs> so as far as as that is concerned, we know that found foundationally, fundamentally, the Jews require a sign but there's something about miracles that you have to understand take your Bible's go to Joshua chapter number three I want to set the, the groundwork and this isn't an original thought um, I got a friend of mine down in um, in Jacksonville brother Russell Broussard, and I was listening to him teach through this um, and he and he had this thought I called him on the phone I was like man did you get that because I'm looking at all the commentaries and stuff like that I'm like I ain't seeing no one's saying what you're saying here and, and it's a, and it's an interesting. Uh, it was this interesting thought that he had, and he said, "Man, no, the Lord kind of gave it to me." And I was studying this thing. I said, "Man, that's pretty good. I want to, I want to delve into it a little bit." And so, um, and so, this isn't an original thought, but I, uh, I've been thinking about what he said. Maybe added a couple verses to it, a little bit of a deeper process as as, as I was going through it. Uh, Joshua chapter number three. Look in verse number five. And Joshua said unto the people, Sanctify yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. And Joshua spake unto the priests, saying, Take up the Ark of the Covenant and pass over before the people. And they took up the Ark of the Covenant and went before the people. And the Lord said unto Joshua, This day will I begin to magnify thee in the sight of all Israel, that they may know that I was uh, as I was with Moses, so I Will be with thee. So God's about to work wonders through Joshua for the sole purpose of magnifying Joshua in the sight of the children of Israel. You see that? And he says the reason is is because now you're taking over where Moses left off, and it's really important that those people see that you're the guy. And so God's about to work miracles to magnify Joshua in the sight of the people. This isn't much different than what uh, God did with Moses. Go to Exodus, the book of Exodus chapter 7. We see something here in regards to signs and wonders and miracles and those kinds of things. Exodus chapter 7. And again, this is, I I think, was a great thought. Exodus chapter 7, look in verse 1. And the Lord said unto Moses, See, I have made thee a God to Pharaoh. And Aaron thy brother shall be thy prophet. Thou shalt speak all that I command thee. And Aaron thy brother shall speak unto Pharaoh that he send the children of Israel out of his land. And I will harden Pharaoh's heart and multiply my signs and my wonders in the land of Egypt. The signs and the wonders that that take place... uh, in, in, the, in, the, in the following chapter here in the book of Exodus, you know what it does? It makes Moses as a god. And who made him that way? God did. The Lord said to Moses, I have made thee a god to Pharaoh. He magnified, he magnified Moses in the sight of Pharaoh so much that God says, I've made you like a god to him. He looks at you a certain way because of things that I've done through you you see that and God does the same thing now you say well the apostolic signs are done I get that but how do you define a miracle right how do you define a miracle you see you see somebody gets up and get you know salvation's a miracle salvation's a miracle the fact that you can be dead in trespasses and sins and be on your way to hell and of no without hope, without God, alone in the world, and through believing on Lord Jesus Christ and and asking him to save you, he miraculously comes down and cuts your soul away from your body and puts the Holy Spirit inside of you and all the things that take place, that's a miracle. That's a miracle they wish they had in the Old Testament. If you think about you think about how it is. Uh, the old, in the Old Testament, uh, they, they ha- we, the Bible says that you have a more sure word of prophecy than the folks in the Old Testament did. And they had angels coming down and pre-incarnate uh, uh, sightings of the Lord Jesus Christ and all the Nathan and Abiram and all these different things that take place in the Old Testament. And, uh, I mean, the, uh, the, uh, Balaam's ass talking to him. I mean, you had all kinds of crazy things that took place in the Old Testament. And the Bible says you're better off than they are. How do you figure that? You have a book that records every miracle. You have, the, the fact that you have a book sitting in your lap tonight is a miracle. You know that, right? The fact that you have a God that through all the process of time and all the, the uh, attempts of the devil and the attempts of higher criticism and scholarship to remove that book from your lap, it still sits right where it is tonight. That's a miracle. It's an absolute miracle. You know, sometimes when a guy gets up and preaches... You know, sometimes what you don't see, sometimes you look at that person and and you see them as a great preacher, and you should. You look at them and you go, my goodness, what a sermon, what a blessing. And you know what sometimes we have a tendency to do? We have a tendency to look at Christians and we look at preachers and we say, man, I wish I could be as spiritual as them. Man, I wish God could use me like God uses them. And you want to know something? That guy behind the pulpit, you know what he's saying? God, I don't even know why in the world you'd ever use me. I don't know why I'm here. I'm not worthy to be up here. I'm a soup sandwich. I'm a mess. And God uses them. You know what that is? That's a miracle. You know what sometimes our tendency is to do is we, we downplay it. We, downcut, we, we undercut it. And we say, oh, you know, well, we pick out the flaws of the preacher. Instead of embracing the fact that, oh, my goodness, man, in spite of his flaws, God still uses it. God still speaks through him. It's a miracle that God uses anybody. I mean, you don't have to have, you don't have to be, you know, some kind of evil, wicked, you know, uh, you know, heathen and get saved. But yeah, it's easy to say, well, that that that's a miracle that, that God even got saved. Yeah, it is. But it's also a sa- it's a miracle that you got saved. It's it's crazy that God, you know, it it boggles the mind that, that uh, God's even mindful of us. You know, the Bible says, what is man that thou art mindful of him? How, how, that's wild that God would choose us to, to, uh, to bring forth his message and to be the ambassadors of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's a miracle. And so you have modern day miracles all around you. You know, that's, you know think about this. Think about your past and think about the series of events that it took for you to get to this church. Now, I, I don't know if you downplay that. I don't downplay that because I know as far as Bible believing, Uh, preachers go and Bible believing works go you don't you don't they're not they're not very prevalent they're not prevalent and ones that say they they believe the King James Bible they really don't believe it they just use it right and if you pin them down they squirm you see what I'm saying I'm talking a real strong Bible believing church pastor that's in the book teaches the book you know that it's a miracle that you're here Think about think about why and how in the world did you get here? That's nuts. <laughs> it's crazy. You know, I, I sit back and I reminisce sometimes and I think about where I was uh, when I was in upstate New York and I'm thinking there was there was no uh, PBI Dr. Ruckman at the one church that was up there. They hated him. They hated Pensacola. They hated Dr. Ruckman. They want nothing to do with him. How in the world did I end up at his school? How in the world did a stupid, ignorant, you know, didn't know nothing, my family didn't ever raise in church, never knew nothing about the Bible, uh, nominal Catholics at best, never went to mass, never did. I mean, just just heathen, just strict, no God, right? How in the world did I get to Pensacola Bible Institute? How in the world did I get called to preach? How in the world did I? How in the world did I end up here? You know what? That's a miracle. That's a miracle. And you know what, sometimes uh, people, they force themselves into positions, you know, because they get, they get, you know, impatient and they, and they uh, you know, try to pull an Absalom or pull an Adonijah and they try to do their own thing. That just happened oh, over at a, a church down the road here. Uh, associate pastor had been there for a while and that pastor has been at that church for, man, 30, 40 years maybe. He was, the, he was the, a youth guy before the pastor... Before him, and then I think he was the associate, and then when he passed, the pastor passed away. He took the church over, and been pastoring it ever since. And now he's got this—I uh, don't know where. I don't know if he was a Crown guy or a Tennessee Temple guy, or he's one of these Christian college guys, you know. And uh, he he goes into the pastor's office and says, "You need to you need to resign. It's my time to be the pastor." And you know what he does? He splits the stinking church. This just happened like last week. And you say, when well, he sits there and he, he can look over his congregation of people that he stole from another man. It's like, how did you do it? Was it a miracle? No, I did it myself. You know what he was? He was like Simon the sorcerer. He's like, hey man, I saw, what you, I saw that miracle you did. Uh, how can I get that? Can I pay for it with money? You know, how, how do I obtain that? that's what he looked at it as you see but there's true miracles you know, I, you know, Pastor gives his testimony all the time about him being in the Navy and being from Kentucky. How did a guy from Kentucky go through the Navy and go through all the things that he went through and then end up in Pensacola the way he ended up in Pensacola and then to settle in Dayton, Ohio? thought he was going to be a missionary to Croatia and the Lord says, if you ain't going to start a church here, what makes you think you'll start one in Croatia? And then he cleans his garage out and makes it a stinking church and, and then all of a sudden, you know, here's Amy and Steve and he need, he has a piano player sitting there and she's been here ever since and... His family's raised up in here and now you've got generations of andereggs sitting in the same church. <laughs> How in the world does that happen? That's a miracle. Right? It's a miracle. And so, miracles, what they do is they magnify men. They magnify men. You know, the Bible tells you as far as the folks that minister unto you that they're worthy of double honor. Folks that labor in the word of God and of doctrine and those kinds of things, they're worthy of double honor. And, and what, what God will do is He'll put His hand on a man and He will use him and He will exalt him in the sight of the people and He'll work through that person in a mighty powerful way. And no, I don't think that Benny Hinn is being magnified of God. I think that's all a show in the flesh, right? I think it's a show in the flesh. I'm talking about, here's, here's a guy that will have God's hand on him. He'll get up and he'll preach, and God will bring people along his way, and, and God will magnify that person uh, through His teaching, through His preaching, through His dedication, His faithfulness. And what will happen is is people will start looking up to that guy, and the Lord will make it known. That's the guy. And there's nothing wrong with that. You need that. You need clear leadership. And there's nothing worse than somebody who thinks they're the guy and they're not the guy. They just try too hard. They want to be the guy everybody looks to. They want to be the guy that's supposed to have all the answers. And so they get their little group over here and they talk and they give them all their advice and they're not behind the pulpit. They're not doing all this. They just got their little crowd over here and they're working their crowd, but you're not the guy. So you know what you should do? Point them to the guy. Hey, why don't you go sit down and talk to the pastor about that? Hey, why don't you, you know, see what he has to think. Why don't you run that by so-and-so? You point him to where God has exalted the man. Now, there's a danger in it. I believe that there's a danger in it. Uh, go to Acts uh, chapter 3. Acts chapter 3. Acts chapter 3, look at uh, verse 12. And when Peter saw it, he answered unto the people, Ye men of Israel, why marvel at this? Now, if, you know, if you're if you familiar with the passage, here's a man, he's lame in his feet, and he goes over there and he says, Hey, you know, you got any money? He says, Silver and gold, have I none, but what I have I'll give to thee. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, arise and walk. And his ankle bones, they, they, they receive strength, and he gets up he starts leaping around. That's where we're at. And the people, they start gazing and and they start uh, wondering at Peter and John. And Peter says, "Uh, uh, Ye men of Israel, why marvel ye at this? Or why look ye so earnestly on us? As though by our own power or holiness we made this man to walk. The God of Abraham and of Isaac and of Jacob, the God of our fathers, had glorified His Son, Jesus, whom ye delivered up and denied Him in the presence of Pilate when He was determined to let Him go. But ye denied the Holy One and the just and desired a murderer to be granted unto you and killed prince of life, so on and so forth. Um, In verse 16, And His name through faith in His Son hath made this man strong, whom ye see and know, Yea, the faith which is by Him hath given Him this perfect soundness in the presence of you all. He's saying, hey, yeah, God, listen, God did a miracle. And you know what they're doing? They're marveling at Peter and John. Okay? And then so what they do is they're, they're marveling at Peter and John. They're saying, my goodness, man, look at the power that they have. It's amazing. These guys, they got the hand of God on them. And they, they point them right back to the Lord Jesus Christ and say, He's the one. He's the one that gives us that power. He's the one that gives us that authority. Right? Go to Acts chapter 5. Acts chapter 5, verse 12. And by the hands of the apostles were many signs and wonders wrought among the people, and they were all with one accord in Solomon's porch. And the rest durst no man join himself to them, but the people magnified them. The people magnified them. Why? Because of the signs and because of the wonders. Now the reason I show you those verses on Peter and and this is a little bit skeptical or uh, speculative if you will, Uh, but remember when we were talking over there um, in Galatians chapter 2 when Paul rebukes uh, Peter to his face? You think about this. In Acts chapter 15 Peter stands up, he is absolutely the guy. He's got, he's got the, this is Acts chapter 3, Acts chapter 5. He stands up at the council at Jerusalem in Acts chapter 15 after Paul gives his discourse. Remember, we, all, we talked about that a few different times. And what happens is, is Peter stands up and he's the end all be all. And he says, yeah, we're going to be saved just like they said we was going to be saved. He gets up and says, and he's the guy. But remember, he goes up to Antioch and he's sitting down there with the Gentiles And all of a sudden, the car pulls up outside and all the Jews show up and he says, "Uh, sorry boys, I got to go. You ever wonder why he did that? Do you think maybe, maybe, just maybe, that he had been lifted up so high and he had been magnified so high that, uh, you know, he could have possibly let it go to his head a little bit? And now all of a sudden, he's got a reputation that he has to uh, manage? And you know, I know that I'm just at Antioch for a little bit of time. I gotta live in Jerusalem. You see that? So the, the the problem is, is if when God starts using you, and God, and God will do that, not just in a church, God will do that at your work. You'll be working, and all of a sudden somebody, somebody will come to you, they'll say something, and God will put that thing. You ever have God do that? Somebody asks you a question, or somebody, and all of a sudden God puts a verse in your head, and you're like, man, where'd that come from? And you give them that verse, and they're just like in awe. And they're like, my goodness, I've never heard something like that before in my life. And you're like, yeah, I didn't know I could do that. You know? And God just kind of like puts His hand on you for a second. You know what He's doing? That's a miracle, man. It's a little mini miracle. <laughs> no, you didn't raise the dead, but that's pretty awesome when God does that. Doesn't that like, feel good when God does that? And what God will do is He'll, He'll just lift you up in the sight of people around you. You know what we have to do? We have to make sure we keep a level head. Because, you know, you can get the big head and you can think that you're something when you're nothing. And that's what he admonishes us over there in uh, Romans uh, chapter 12. He says that you think not of yourselves more highly than you ought to think. Right? Paul has, a, has, the, same, has the same thing. Um, uh, Paul, he, uh, he has the miracles. We talked about that over in 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 12, uh, Romans chapter 15. And uh, it's so much so with Paul that Paul, in order for him not to get the big head, because he has an abundance, the Bible says, an abundance of revelation, uh, Go into 2 Corinthians chapter 12. 2 Corinthians chapter 12. I mean, he has the miracle of getting caught up to the third heaven and seeing things that can't be uttered, Right? And look in verse 7 of 2 Corinthians chapter 12. And lest I should be exalted, look at this, above measure. So you can be exalted too high. Okay? Through the abundance of the revelations, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I should be exalted above measure. Right? He says, God, God put a ceiling on this thing. God, it was a blessing, and, and he, he, he besought the Lord three times to take it away, and he didn't take it away, and that was to keep Paul in the right place. And in doing so, Paul remained uh, having the right attitude, and look in Romans chapter 11. Romans chapter 11. Look in verse number 13. For I speak to you Gentiles, insomuch as I am the apostle of the Gentiles. Look at what he does. I magnify mine office. He doesn't magnify himself. He magnifies his office. So I'm not, listen, I'm not saying, uh, you know, it's important that God does miracles through us. It's important that God... Uh, puts His hand on you, and, and sometimes He'll exalt you in the eyes of people. Uh, what our job is to do is to make sure we continually not magnify ourselves, but magnify the office that God gave us. Again, you may not be the pastor, you may not be a preacher uh, per se, but you know what, you've been given the ministry of reconciliation, right? You've been called to give an answer of the hope that lies within you with meekness and fear. And God will use you. God will work through you. That's Whether you're a man, whether you're a woman, whether you're a teenager, I I don't care. God will use you. And so you know what you do? Yes, I'm a a Bible. I'm a Christian. I believe that book. And uh, the Lord, you know, He's done some things for me. And this is what God's called me to do. This is where God has me. And so you magnify your office. Okay? Uh, Because we know that these signs and these miracles, they fall off. Okay, they fall off. Go to 2 Timothy chapter uh, 4. 2 Timothy chapter 4. Paul, towards the end of his ministry, is admonishing Timothy. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 20. Erastus abode at Corinth, but Trophimus, have I left that Miletum sick? You know what Paul's doing? He's losing the signs. He's losing the wonders. He's losing the miracles. I touched on this last night in the sermon. You know, what do you do, what do, you do when, you can't, uh, when you can't serve the way you used to serve? Paul's getting to a place now where his ministry looks completely different than it did when he started. It ain't, the, it ain't the bright shining light on the road to Damascus anymore, right? This isn't seeing people rise up and walk. This, this isn't that anymore. This is, I'm sorry, Trophimus, I, I don't have the, if I could touch you and heal you, I would, but man, I, don't, I just don't got that juice anymore. It's just not what it is. Go to Acts chapter 28. Acts chapter 28, verse 3 And when Paul gathered a bundle of sticks and laid them on the fire, there came a viper out of the heat and fastened on his hand. And when the barbarians saw the venomous beast hang on his hand, they said among themselves, No doubt this man's a murderer, whom though he had escaped the sea, yet vengeance suffereth not to live. And he shook off the beast into the fire and felt no harm. Howbeit, they looked when, they should have, uh, when he should have swollen. Or fallen down dead suddenly, but after they had looked a great while and saw no harm, came to him. They changed their minds and said that he was a god. See that? That's a miracle. <laughs> and they look and they, they magnify him, man. They say, you're a god. And the same quarters of the possession, uh, same quarters were the possessions of the chief men of the island, whose name was P- uh, Pubilis, or Publius, who received, uh, who received us and lodged us three days courteously, and it came to pass after the father of uh, Publius lay sick of a fever and of a bloody flux, to whom Paul entered in and prayed and laid his hands on him and healed him. You see that? And look at verse 9. So when this was done, others also which had diseases in the islands came and were healed, who also honored him, or excuse, me, honored us with many honors. And when we uh, departed, they laden us with such things as were necessary. God uses that miracle and He, and he magnifies Paul uh, and, he, and He brings him up and, and, and lifts him up in the eyes of the barbarians because miracles magnify men. That's what you got to know. So what is a miracle? A miracle is an outpouring of God that magnifies men. It's an outpouring of God that magnifies men. Now, when I say it magnifies men, it can manifest itself in different ways. So, uh, the one that is magnified, it could be the one that's performing the miracle, right? Because maybe it's not good for the one that the miracle is being pronounced upon, right? Moses, he gets up and God uh, God makes him as a god to Pharaoh. But do you think Pharaoh got the good end of the deal of that miracle? Absolutely not. (laughs) He got his heart hardened and... Uh, they had to sleep with the frogs, and they had all the plagues that came through, and they were like, man, put that stinking rod away, man. Every time that rod comes out, it stinks for us, you know. And all the water turns to blood, and they lose their firstborn, and they're like, get out of here with your miracles, man. Think about, you think about Elijah. He stands on top of a mountain, and he tells all the, the sons of Baal, he says, hey, you know what, why don't you go ahead and build you an altar? I'll build me an altar. You call out to your God, I'll call out to my God, and we'll see what happens. And so they call down. They go night and day. They're cutting themselves and offering themselves. And, and, and he says, is your God sleeping? Or maybe he's gone on vacation. Where's he at? <laughs> and he's making fun of them. And then, of course, he digs the moat around his altar. And he fills it with water, which was the most precious substance in those days because it was a drought. And he calls on God. And the fire falls and licks up everything. And God gives... Uh, God gives... Uh, uh, um, God gives um, Credence to his, his cry there and, and comes down and shows favor on his offering. And Elijah, what happened? He was magnified, but the people that he was around, wasn't good for them. So the magnification of the miracle could just be on the one performing the miracle. Or the magnification uh, could be on the one that is the partaker of the miracle. The one on the receiving end. If you, if you remember Elisha, he's dead. His bones is in the ground. Guy, chuck, guy chucks a dead man in there, and he touches Elisha's bones, and he comes up and is like, wait a minute, I'm not dead. <laughs> right? It didn't benefit Elisha, any. he was already dead. It was his bones, but that guy got a miracle out of it. And so it magnified that guy. Or it can magnify both. Okay, it can magnify, uh, just like it magnified Peter, and it also magnified that man who couldn't walk. Both of them got the benefit. Okay, and, and same with Paul. You know, Paul, he, uh, he gets magnified in front of those, uh, in front of those barbarians. And uh, the barbarians also, they had uh, people that were there that was healed and all that kind of thing. And so both people benefited. So, you know, the, the miracles can work in, su- in such a way. But what it is, it's God outpouring His Spirit, outpouring His power. And a man, in some way, shape, or form, they get lifted up and they get the benefit of it. But there's something that's extremely different than miracles. Okay? And he alludes to this uh, back in in verse 5 of chapter 3 because both things are represented here in the verse. Look at what he says here. He therefore that ministereth to you the Spirit, comma, and worketh miracles. So the the contrast here, the the other part of this thing is ministry. And the two are not the same. That's why there's a comma and an and there. So miracles magnify the man, but ministry magnifies the Savior. Ministry magnifies the Savior. And you say, how do you understand that? Go to Exodus. Let me show you a couple things here. Exodus chapter 28. Exodus 28, this is the Lord setting up the priesthood under Aaron. And so this is, this is um, obviously just soon after the, uh, the, the law is given. And uh, this is Him giving the, giving the instruction on how the priests are supposed to minister um, in the tabernacle. Okay, so look with me, if you will, in verse number 1. Take thou unto thee Aaron thy brother and his sons with him from among the children of Israel, that he may, look at this, minister unto me in the priest's office. Okay, look at uh, verse 3. And thou shalt speak unto all that are wise-hearted, whom I have filled with the spirit of wisdom, that they may make Aaron's garments to consecrate them, that they may minister unto me in the priest's office. Look at verse 4. These are the garments which they shall make, the breastplate and the, uh, the breastplate and an ephod, a robe, a broidered coat, a miter, a girdle, and they shall make the holy garments for Aaron, thy brother, and his sons, and they may minister unto me in the priest's office. Look in verse 35, same chapter. Verse 35. And it shall be upon Aaron to minister... And uh, his uh, sound shall be heard, from the goeth uh, into the holy place before the Lord. Before the Lord. And then finally look in verse number 41. And thou shalt put them upon Aaron thy brother and his sons with him, and shall anoint them, and consecrate them, and sanctify them, that they may minister unto me in the priest's office. As God first set up priests, as God first set up folks that are to minister... They're to minister to God. You know the first time the word minister shows up in the Bible is with uh, Joshua and Moses. Right? And Moses is the head guy and it says that Joshua is his minister. You know the the funny thing about Joshua being Moses' minister? Is he's almost invisible until Moses dies. You never hear about him. You never hear about him. He's invisible. You want to know why? Because a minister is supposed to minister to God. You know, we talk about the ministry. You know what? You know what they've made the ministry nowadays? They've made it about people. The ministry ain't about you. There's a mind mind bender you think about that you got a pastor That's the pastor of this church you know what he's supposed to do he's supposed to minister unto god not unto you you know he's supposed to labor he's supposed to labor in the word of god and doctrine and he's supposed to be given to prayer he ain't supposed to be messing with people all the time see that the church nowadays, they think that the pastor is also a psychologist and a therapist and, a, you know, a lawyer. And uh, our pastor seems to be a handyman. And Now, if, the, if he's helped you out with something, that's not, I'm not saying that you're doing anything wrong. That's his personality. That's the way he is. And, and honestly, he's not doing it for you. He's doing it for the Lord. That's why he's helping you out. Right? But you have to understand what is the ministry. The ministry ain't about people, the ministry is about God. The first, the first duty of the church, is to edify or to exalt the Savior, and then to um, uh, evangelize the lost. Right to um, exhort the exhort the saint, evangelize the sinner. <laughs> you know that's how they that's how they 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 play it out. First and foremost, exalt the Savior. So when we think about ministry, we got to think about okay, this is to God. You mean the priests? They you know, They had to. They had to mess with the people. You know that, right? The people had to bring them the offering. The people had to do all this stuff. They, they were they were what we would call in the business world customer facing positions. But the Lord says, you don't worry about them. You just do exactly what I tell you to do, the way I tell you to do it. Don't worry about what they think. You know what you're supposed to do. If they don't bring what they're supposed to bring, you can't. You could can tell them what to do because. You're on my authority. You tell them what I told you. You're not giving them your two cents. You're giving them my two cents. You minister unto me. I'm your boss, not them. Well, we think you should do this, Pastor, and we think you should do it this way, and we think you should do it this way. I'm not here for you. I'm here for them. You see that? That's their attitude. That's their attitude. And so, um, look in Deuteronomy chapter 10. You want a real interesting study, and it'll give you a real blessing. Uh, if you just do a, do a study on Aaron and his sons. Aaron is a type of Jesus Christ, and his sons would be a type of you and I. And uh, it's a very interesting study. I would encourage you to study it out sometime in your own leisure and see some of the similarities um, all the way from the garments that they put on and, and the sprinkling of the blood and all that kind of stuff. The anointing that they get as just being because they're sons of Aaron. And uh, it's it's a pretty good study. But Deuteronomy chapter number 10, verse number 8, and uh, says, At that time the Lord separated the tribe of Levi to bear the ark of the covenant of the Lord. Look at this. To stand before the Lord to minister unto the people. No. To stand before the Lord and minister unto him and to bless his name. Where's the children of Israel? They're not the main players. (laughs) They're not the focal point. Well, let's see this again. Go to Ezekiel, the book of Ezekiel. This is a a great one. Ezekiel chapter 44. And this is really, really good. Ezekiel chapter 44. Look in verse, uh, start verse 15. But the priests, the Levites, the sons of Zadok that kept the charge of the sanctuary, look at this, when the children of Israel went astray from me. You want to know why the ministry is not about the people? Because if the ministry is all about the people, what happens when the people don't do right? Do you leave? Do you stop? What 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 did you just say here? The priests, the Levites, the sons of Zadok kept the charge of my sanctuary. When did they keep the charge? When the children of Israel went astray from me. They shall come near to me to minister unto me. They shall stand before me to offer unto me fat in the blood, saith the Lord God. They shall enter into my sanctuary, and they shall come near to my table to minister unto me, and they shall keep my charge. Isn't that good? You say when? When the people don't want to do right. When the people don't want to do right, you know what the ministers do? They keep doing what they're supposed to do because they're calling and their ministry is not about the people. It's about the God that they're serving. Go to Matthew chapter 20. It's really important that we understand what ministry is. Because, you know, when when you read Paul's writings, Paul, he gives credit to a bunch of people that aren't well known in the Bible. And he calls them fellow laborers and ministers and servants and fellow prisoners and all these names that you see at the end of some of Paul's writings. He gives credit and he gives credence to these people. And they're ministers, they're fellow ministers of Paul. And they're not big time you know, Bible scholars, they're not traveling like uh, 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 Peter or Paul is and all the different stuff. They're just people ministering, they're just folks ministering. Okay, look in uh, Matthew chapter 20 again. Here's uh, we just saw what the Old Testament has to say as we get into the New Testament. Look at what is said here in Matthew chapter 20. Look in verse number 20. Then came to him the mother of Zebedee's children with her uh, came to him the mother of Zebedee's children with her sons, worshiping him, desiring a certain thing of him. And she and uh, he said unto her, What wilt thou? And she said unto him, Grant that these my two sons may sit, the one on the right hand and the other on the left, in thy kingdom. But Jesus answered and said, Ye know not what ye ask. Are uh, are ye able to drink of the cup that I shall drink of, to be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with? And they say unto him, We are able. And he saith unto them, Ye shall drink indeed of my cup, and be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with. But to sit on my right hand and on my left is not mine to give, but it is... uh, but it shall be given to them for whom it is prepared of my Father. And when the ten heard it, they were moved with indignation against the two brethren. What well, in the world? Why in the world are you talking like that? You think you're something special? Why do you you think you're better than all of us? You see the, the contention that's in between the, the, the twelve right now? Okay. And it says, But Jesus called. Uh, them unto him and said ye know that the princes of the Gentiles exercise dominion over them and that and they that are great exercise authority upon them think about think about the people who are always focused on miracles you know what they do They use the miracles that magnify them and they become great in the sight of the people and they use that authority to be lords over the folks that are looking at them. He just told you that. He says, You want to be great? You want to sit on my left hand and my right hand? You better quit worrying about miracles. Because that's what unspiritual Gentiles do. And they exercise, uh, excuse me, they exercise lordship over people. They exercise authority upon them. And it says, It shall not be so among you, but whosoever will be great among you, let him be your minister. You see that? You know what? I've met a lot of preachers, and you know what? They think a lot of themselves. I had a preacher one time, I'm the most controversial preacher in America today. <laughs> it's ridiculous, man. You have, you have a, ever since, they told us too, they told us before Dr. Ruckman passed away, they said, you wait, when Dr. Ruckman passes away, you're going to have everybody and their brother thinking they're the next Dr. Ruckman. Mm-hmm. And they were right. You got a bunch of people right now, you know what they're trying to, they're jockeying for position. I just got a, I got a, I just got something the other day, uh, a guy that I know. He graduated school after me. And you know what? He's got a he's starting a Bible institute at his church. You know? He's gonna do correspondence and he's gonna do in person. Now he didn't say this, but you know what he's saying? You know how he's positioning himself? Well, I'm not TBDI and I'm not PBI. I'm somewhere in the middle. I'm etching out my own thing. I can, I can be the best of both worlds. You see that? Trying to be great. Seeking greatness. Look at all I can do. Look at all these ministries I have. I'm preaching all over the place. I'm a great preacher. I'm this, that. Look at my church. Look at this, that. Miracles, 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 miracles. Look at me. And you know what it does? Put your hand down on you exercise authority over you. That's just the way it works. And Jesus says, it's not supposed to be among you guys. He says, you want to be great? Become somebody's minister. And then He gives you more light on what a minister is. He says, whosoever, verse 27, whosoever will be chief among you, let him be your servant. The Son of Man came not to to be ministered unto, but to minister. And to look at this, give His life, a ransom for many. What is ministry? What is ministry? A ministry is this. Miracles are an outpouring of God that magnifies man. Here's what a ministry is. A ministry is the humbling of man that magnifies the Lord. That's what ministry is. Miracles magnify the man and ministry magnifies the Savior. You want to be you want to be a minister of God? You know what you do? You take a far back seat. You don't require the limelight. You don't require uh, accolades. You don't re- require recognition. You want to know why people get mad and leave church? Because they don't get recognized. I had a girl one time, not in this church, a different church. She came up to me and she said, "She says, uh, I think I'm going to leave the church. Why?" Well, there's just nothing for me to do around here. And I was like, do well, you mean there's nothing for you to do around here? You know, I'm looking at it going, I mean, there's tons of stuff to do. I wish we had some people doing this and people doing this. Yeah, all the Sunday schools are taken. You know what she thought? She thought serving God was having a title of Sunday school teacher. She couldn't be the youth pastor. She couldn't be the associate pastor. She couldn't be the pastor. And so she and her infinite wisdom of the ministry thought that the only way she could then serve God is if she had some kind of title, some recognition, some office to hold. Well, that's not how you minister. You know what? There's things that people do around here in this church that nobody knows about. You know what they do? They minister. I've told this story before, um, but it, it has made an impression on me that I'll never forget. We were starting a business, and, and we were broke as a stinking joke. And I, I love Christmas. I'm the opposite uh, of the, the humbugs. I, I like Christmas. I was raised, Christmas was a big deal at my house. My dad was a big Christmas guy. And uh, I, I do, to this day, I love Christmas. It's a big deal. It's my favorite holiday, and uh, I, just, I just really, really enjoy it and uh, I always try to make sure my kids have a good Christmas. I want it to be memorable for them. Traditions that I had as a kid, I wanted to pass on to my to my kids and I remember that particular year, we had no money. we were putting groceries on credit cards. I mean, we were $15,000 in debt. I mean, we were in a bad spot. And I remember I was, I came to church, I came to church on Sunday night and I was just, I was out of it. I was upset. I was really, really sad. And my wife, she was she was sad. I mean, she couldn't pay for groceries, <laughs> you know, and uh, we were just really, really broke. And the kids, they weren't going to have. There was no Christmas this year. <laughs> there was nothing. You know, we you know thought we would you know give them some hand me downs or something like that. You know, there was no wrapping of presents. There was no Christmas tree. There was nothing. And I remember going through that service and just kind of melancholy sitting there in my pew, and then. A brother from this church comes up to me and he says, hey, come out to my van. And I walked out to his van and he pops his van and there's a, a van load of presents and toys in that van. He bought all my kids Christmas presents. And he says, hurry up and get these in your car. Don't let your kids see them. And don't you dare tell them where they came from. You put the came from mom and dad. You hear me? I'll never forget that. That was a big deal. I didn't even know, I didn't, I didn't know he even knew. But he did. And that guy, man, he ministered to me. You know, he ministered. No recognition. Nobody pointed him out for it. I'm telling this illustration now. But nobody ever knew. Some of the greatest ministers you ever met in your life, uh, they don't stand behind a pulpit. you got to think about that i try to bring it across last night sometimes we have this we have this thought in our mind that and it's because we're so stinking goal oriented in america Everybody has to, you know, it's like I was at the sheriff's department and these guys, these, there's, you know, other Christians at the sheriff's department and they come up to you and they say, well, I, I want to I start a ministry, but I need some backing, you know, because I'm going to start this ministry for troubled teenagers and, and, we need, and I already have the title, I already have this, we've got a nonprofit set up. I'm like, and I asked the guy one time, I said, why do you need all this stuff to start a ministry if God told you to start a ministry? I said, if God told you to start a ministry, why do you need a foundation? Why do you need other people backing you? Why, if you want to help out troubled teens, then why don't you go to the stinking west side of uh, the town here and go deal with some troubled teens? And then if it grows and God gets in it, then you got yourself a ministry. How come you can't minister to the people you're supposed to minister to before you have a quote-unquote uh, 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 ministry that's viewable to everybody else? Or do you just want to be somebody that's known to have a ministry? The Bible tells us the difference between the two. And can I say this? It would be just, just as, the, as the, the, uh, the apostolic signs went the way of the American Indian towards the end of the book of Acts... And though we can say and we can see that sometimes the Lord, He magnifies people around us uh, sometimes, and sometimes He uses these uh, quote-unquote miracles in our life, and He he touches us and He uses us, He outpours His Spirit, and He he lifts us up on the side of people sometimes that we work with. Can I say this? It would be better for you to desire ministry than miracles. And when the miracles come, just be thankful for them. Don't magnify yourself. Magnify your office. Magnify who you represent, and give yourself to the ministry. You know, uh, um, I'll look up the verse here uh, a little bit. In a little bit, uh, I'm teaching the second hour, so I'll look it up here when we take a break. But um, I'll give you the verse. But there's two people. I want to say it's. I want to say it's in Galatians. It's somewhere here. <laughs> I can see it on my page, but I can't remember where it's at exactly. But he talks, Paul is talking to the, about these two people. It says, "...and they have addicted themselves to the ministry of the saints." They didn't addict themselves to the miracles. They addicted themselves to the ministry of the saints... Because when you get your eyes set on the Lord Jesus Christ and you put yourself last and you put others before, before you and you know what you end up getting? You end up getting joy unspeakable and full of glory and God fills your wagon up and you realize, man, you've got the most fulfilling thing in the world but yet you're dead last. And it's funny how the Lord works that thing out. And if you're used to ministry, when the miracles stop, and this alludes to what I was preaching last night, if you're addicted to the ministry and the miracles stop, you never stop ministering. Because you weren't the one having the limelight anyways. The ministry sometimes when you're serving the Lord and you've got people looking at you and that kind of thing, that's just that's just God using you and and you're in the forefront and people can see you, and when you can no longer do that, you know what? You're back at just sitting at the feet of Jesus. And in the back corner, doing whatever you can do. But sometimes it's just praying. Sometimes it's just caring. Sometimes it's a word fitly spoken. But you're okay with it because it's you and Jesus. <laughs> All right, let's take a, ba- a break and we'll come back in uh, for the next hour.